A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's Let's start start with with Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For over 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death, and so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. They say, whoever they are, that our cells completely regenerate themselves in seven years' time. So seven years ago, you are a completely different person than you are today. But what is so bizarre is how and where our memories are stored. Hopefully, someday, probably when we cross over, we'll figure out how it all works. But for right now, I just find it fascinating that things that happened so long ago can be stored somewhere within our anatomy and can be triggered when you least expect them. This morning, I opened my email, and I am on the mailing list for private investigator Bob Olson. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you may remember episode 44 with him. He is a private investigator who made his life into studying about the afterlife. So he has Afterlife TV. He's got a podcast. If you like my stuff, You most definitely like his as well. But the email starts off, I'll read this to you. He says, early in my journey investigating what happens when we die, I wondered if the deceased attend their own funerals. And if they do, for what purpose? What I learned is that there are two reasons they make an appearance. Neither being to see how many people showed up or if we purchased the trendiest casket or urn for them. People in spirit attend their own funerals and memorial services because they feel the love that those in attendance radiate for them. Since the most powerful force in the universe is love, it increases a spirit's vibration to feel the love being expressed at such services, which helps them with their own evolvement. We all love to be loved, even after our passing. So funeral services are the perfect opportunity to express our love for the recently deceased before settling back into the distractions of our day-to-day life. The fact that our deceased loved ones are with us whenever we think of them 
and their funeral services are no exception to this. Thus, sharing happy memories of them at any time is a wonderful way to memorialize their life. So that's what I read. And all of a sudden, there were a slew of memories that came forth. One is being at my dad's funeral. I think I was still in a state of shock. What I do remember so clearly is not being sad. I was sitting in a pew with my mom, and I could see my dad standing at the end of the pew, looking healthy, looking alive. And so many people came up to me to give their condolences, which of course I appreciated. But there was just this knowing that dad's still here because there he is. So it was nice to have that memory today that I actually could see him. It was in my mind's eye, but it seemed like reality. Now, I had another time this happened, and I don't think I've shared this on the show before. A gal that I know, her husband had passed. And unfortunately, her husband's father had passed just a couple of days before. So they decided to do a joint funeral. It was a very small church. I was sitting in a pew with my friend and next to the priest where the two cremation urns were, I could see my friend Andy, who's deceased, standing there, young, healthy, well, happy. And now I didn't know Andy in his younger days, but in my mind's eye, there he was. I could tell exactly what he was wearing and I felt comforted. Next to Andy was another gentleman. I'd never seen him before, but he was as clear as anything I can see right now in my line of vision. Looking healthy, looking well, I thought to myself, that must be the father. The next room, they hosted a reception after the funeral. And on a table, there were many pictures of Andy and his children. And as I kept looking, there was the other man that I had first seen in my mind's eye. And that ended up being Andy's father. Absolutely mind-blowing to see somebody in your mind's eye and then see them in a picture. And this leads me to yet another story where this happened. I was on a bus ride to the airport. The woman I was sitting next to was off to a funeral of a friend. The more we talked, I found out where she was going in Florida. And in my mind, there was a picture of a young priest. By the end of the bus ride, when we got off to go into Boston's airport there, she decided to show me a picture of her friend. It was an older picture, but it was the same priest. How about that, huh? What we think is our imagination may not be. And as I've said before, the spirit world uses our mind and uses our imagination to get through. Another story for you. I had been on a cruise, a singles cruise, and a woman named Arlene was my roommate. We had a great time together. She was a bit older than me, but young at heart. I remember some island we stopped at and we went to the beach. Now, the night before, I have to be honest, we had too many glasses 
of champagne in their champagne bar. So we were both feeling a bit hungover. And one conversation led to another. And somehow we got on the conversation of life after death. So I told her some of my earliest experiences. And when I took that medium class that I told you about earlier, and how I knew all about my partner's grandfather, what his name was, what he did for a living. And, you know, that was my first experience of just shocking myself that I could know facts about someone who's no longer living, you know, and that opened the door for me. So she said, well, try it with me. I'm not someone who has developed any sense of mediumship, although I've taken several classes now. Oh, I didn't want to do it. And I said, oh, Arlene, even if I could do it, I said, I'm so hungover. Like, it's the last thing I feel like. She says, come on, Sandra. If it works, great. If it doesn't, who cares? So I said, okay. And this is what I've learned. You need to be willing to be wrong to be right. You need to be able to trust and use your imagination. So I told her, I've got four names that just came into my mind. She says, what are they? I said, Anthony, Mary, Arthur. And then this last name was kind of a weird one, but it was like Maggie, Maggie. You know, I just couldn't get it. And her eyes just filled up with tears. She said, my grandfather's names were Anthony and Arthur. And she says, my grandmother's names were Marie and Medje, very close to the Mege or Maggie that I was trying to say. So she says, what else do you see? And I saw in my mind's eye a most handsome tanned man with brown hair and beautiful blue eyes. And I said, I'm feeling like this guy's name is Rick or Ricky. And he keeps showing me a beautiful gold watch. And she says, oh, she says, I I can't help you there. She says, that must be your imagination. She says, I don't know anybody like that. I said, okay. And I just let it go. When the cruise was over, a few days later, of course, we exchanged phone numbers. She called me. She hadn't thought of anybody deceased by the name of Rick or Ricky but she did have a friend named Ricky who was alive, or so she thought. What she didn't know is he passed away while we were on that cruise. She didn't know to think of him because, like I said, in her mind, he was still alive. She said he loved the beach. He always had a tan, He had that dark brown hair and those beautiful blue eyes. And she said, I gave him the gift of a gold watch for his birthday. It still moves me to tell you that story because it's so easy for our human mind to think things are just our imagination or we forget some of the miraculous things that have happened to us in our life. If you are on our Sunday gathering a couple weeks ago, I talked about how our minds normalize things. You probably have some great things that have happened in your life. Maybe it's meeting your partner, your 
spouse. Maybe it's the birth of children or holding your grandchildren in your arms for the first time. Maybe it's getting a diploma or graduating from somewhere or accomplishing something that people said is impossible. We all have had special moments. And as great as they are, what does our mind do with them? It takes things that are really big deals and just turns them into no big deal. You'll find, if you haven't found this already, that in regards to the afterlife, you may have gotten signs. You may have been inspired. You might have witnessed something really special. You might have had some psychic moment. And the mind will just turn it into no big deal and go right back to feeling guilty about the past or being worried about the future. It's part of being human, my friend. So I applaud you for listening right now because keeping a book by your bed on the afterlife or something positive or listening to a podcast, those are the kind of things that keep you plugged in to this greater reality that there's more to life than meets the eye and there's more to you than you know. So we're going to take a quick break and I'll be back with some afterlife stories. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com shades today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash shades. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile... The ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. 
I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. We're going to do some story time today. And the first just very short story is that I was talking to a fellow earlier today, and he said that when his deceased mother comes to visit, he said there's actually a temperature change that he and his wife feel, and they both just get overcome with a feeling of love. He says the dog acts a little crazy and looks off to the corner of the room. But that's how they know that the mother is around. I know for me, when I could be thinking about anything, all of a sudden, if I get a picture or thought or memory of my dad, that's to me, him saying, I'm right here. This story comes from Jody. Explaining death to a young child is never easy. When my brother suffered a massive coronary while riding the metro to work and died suddenly, I struggled with what to say to my young son about his uncle Bobby. Spencer thought the sun rose and set around superheroes like Spider-Man till the day Uncle Bobby hoisted him up on his shoulders in one swoop and carried him through the streets of Washington, D.C., high above the crowd. That day, Uncle Bobby, not Spider-Man, was the strongest man in the universe. When I explained that Uncle Bobby's heart just stopped working, Spencer thought for a moment and then said, Gee, I wish we could have gotten him a heart like Iron Man's. Me too, I sighed as I fought back tears and hugged Spencer. I kept the message in as simple terms as possible. And after our talk, Spencer said, So Uncle Bobby is in heaven? Yes, and he'll still watch over all of us and take care of us, just like always. Okay, Spencer said, with a reassured smile as he hopped off the couch and went about his eight-year-old day. At that moment, I wished my own heart could have been as easily comforted. But I knew that my only brother was gone forever, and there were things I would never be able to tell him. Like how I measured every boy I dated against Bobby's character, or how... When he taught me how to ride a bike, he also taught me how to pick myself up after I fell. 
I would never again hear his voice on my birthday when he would call me and for that brief moment make me feel like he had nothing more important to do than talk with his baby sister. How would he ever know now how much I loved and adored him? No, my sadness was not as quickly comforted with the simple knowledge that my brother was in heaven. A few weeks later, we were in church, kneeling in silent prayer before Mass, when Spencer started giggling. When I looked his way to give him the standard mom, stern, time to be quiet and stop playing with your brother look, I noticed he was staring up at a corner of the church. What are you looking at? I whispered. Uncle Bobby, he whispered back, matter-of-factly, his gaze never leaving the spot. He says to tell you hi. To say I was surprised or shocked by his response would not be true. Spencer has always been a special boy, and truthfully, this is not the first dead person with whom he's conversed. When he was just three years old, he proudly announced at my niece's wedding that Ra-Ra, a beloved family friend who had passed away a few months before, was standing next to the bride. So on this day, I simply whispered back, tell Uncle Bobby, Mom says hi, and that we miss and love him. He said he knows all that, Mom. He said to tell you he loves all of yous, and it's pretty warm here. The pretty warm comment was one thing, but the yous gave me the real pause. That's a Western Pennsylvania term that my family uses for you all. But I quit using upon moving to Wisconsin 15 years earlier. Oh, Spencer quickly added, I mean it's pretty and warm here. I immediately smiled and shook my head. Thanks for clarifying your location, Bob, I said to myself. Spencer continued to giggle, and when I asked why he was laughing, he said, Mom, it's Uncle Bobby. You know, he always makes me laugh. I could not argue with that. Bobby's laughter was infectious. His trademark smirk was so permanently fixed on his face that even the funeral director could not make him look sad. This little exchange in church brought me back to my own youth and the many stern looks I got from my mom as a result of my brother's sense of humor, which was apparently still contagious, even in death. Did Uncle Bobby like comic books? Spencer asked me one day as we drove to his favorite place in the world, Galaxy Comics on Clark Street. Yep, he liked Archie Comics and Mad Libs when he was a kid. And we watched the old Batman series on television each week. Cool, Spencer said, feeling his bond to his Uncle Bobby was still intact. On December 26th, 2012, the last book in the Spider-Man comic book series, number 700, was released. Galaxy is a block from my office, and I intended to go during my lunch hour to pick it up for Spencer, but work got in the way. It was after five when I finally arrived at the store. I looked on the shelf, but I did not see anything with the number 700 on it. It was then that I learned from the laughing store clerk that they had sold out within 30 minutes of opening the store. He told me to tell Spencer not to be too disappointed, as the new Superior series would be starting soon. I went back to the shelf 
intending to find something else to hold him over until then, when something caught my eye. I picked it up and asked the clerk, is this the one he wanted? Stunned, the clerk replied, that's impossible. I know I sold the last one early this morning. I have no idea where this came from. For a brief moment, I thought I heard the distinct, hearty chuckle of my brother behind me, and then I smiled. Don't worry, I said to the clerk. I know where it came from. Here's another one by Christiana. How's the basement looking? Pop asked. After moving in with his son Steve, I got used to these phone calls whenever a rainstorm hit. Our house stood next to a river, which sometimes overflowed and seeped into our basement. During one heavy storm, we had at least a foot of water in the basement, and the boys stayed up all night pumping out the water. From then on, Pop was on high alert whenever the forecast predicted rain. So to calm his worries, I took the phone with me as I went down the stairs to check again. Pretty much dry, only a little water creeping in, I told him. Okay, let me know if it gets worse and you guys need a hand. That storm passed eventually, as did most, since Steve put in a heavy-duty sump pump. But Pop was still constantly fretting over it, and us. Then it was our turn to fret over Pop. Over the course of a year, he went further and further into a dark, depressed place. Steve tried to help him. Mom tried, too. Friends tried. But on a Friday morning in May 2011, Pop took his own life. He was only 62. Steve lost his father, his business partner, and his best friend. More than two years later, feelings of guilt, abandonment, and rejection still troubled him, and he missed Pop every single day. They had worked together running their car repair business together, and gas station. When they weren't talking shop, they'd talk cars, motorcycles, music. We hung out with Pop and Mom most weekends, having dinner, seeing a show, going to a concert. Steve learned to live without Pop, but there was still such a void. While he didn't cry as much, I think I did enough for the both of us. I cried over the good memories with Pop and the future memories he wouldn't be a part of. Future Thanksgivings, Fourth of July picnics, our wedding, and our future child's lives. And I even got teary during storms, thinking how he would always call. Then something happened that made us realize Pop hadn't left us for good. About a year and a half after Pop died, Hurricane Sandy hit our part of Connecticut with strong winds and heavy rain. We fared well and only lost power for four days. During that time, we fortunately had a diesel-powered generator to run a few important appliances, like the refrigerator and the basement sump pump, thanks, of course, to an earlier purchase by Pop. We stored two extra containers of diesel in the sunroom. They stunk up the room. We kept the door closed so the smell wouldn't spread to the rest of our house. I had popped in and out of the sunroom once or twice, and the smell of fuel always hit me. One morning, Steve went into the sunroom to check something, and he called me over. Worried that something had spilled, leaked, or fallen, 
I dropped what I was doing and went to help him. I saw Steve standing in the middle of the room, and everything looked normal. Smell that? he asked. I did. Standing right next to the containers, I smelled the familiar scent of British sterling, not diesel. Stunned, I looked at Steve. He had a sad smile. I sniffed around more just to be sure and stated the obvious. It's Pop's cologne. The scent was distinct, crisp, and powerful. So much that I looked around half expecting to see Pop somewhere in the room. The only sign of him, though, remained the cologne. Steve and I stood there, calm and silent. Hey, Pop, I said eventually. I stood a bit longer, absorbing the moment. Then I gave Steve a kiss on the cheek and went back to my morning routine, giving him some alone time. He hung back for a few more minutes, quiet. When he came into the kitchen, he looked more at ease. Nice of Pop to come by and check on us, I said, half-joking. Steve smiled and realized it was true. Pop wasn't up there, as in some kind of indeterminate spirit, as I had always considered everyone who passed. His spirit truly lived on. I bet he checked the basement, too. We'll be right back with more heartwarming stories from the afterlife. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. As interesting and heartwarming as these stories are of signs of people's loved ones who are deceased, I know personally, as I read them to you, it's igniting some grief within me. Any one of us who have loved and lost a loved one know that pain of grief. I know we all experience it to different extremes right now. Some of us are newly bereaved. Some of us, it's been a few years. I don't care how long it's been. All we need sometimes is to watch a commercial for a greeting card or maybe hear one of these stories about a father that's no longer walking this earth and the memories come back. Memories are good, but I just ask you to ride the wave of grief. What you resist persists. And the more we've loved, the more grief hurts. These stories are not meant to trigger grief, but what if we look at them listening for putting your life into the story? Have you received a sign from a loved one? Or are you hearing these stories because there may be a sign on the horizon for you? It's nice to know the different ways the spirit world gives us signs. We are going to continue on right now with a story from Jillian. I was a lively child with an inquisitive mind. I wasn't rebellious or bad. I just always wanted to know what was in this corner or around that bend, always talking and asking questions, going where I wasn't supposed to go or doing what I wasn't supposed to do. I often incurred the disapproval of my father, who would probably have preferred a more sedate young daughter than the scratched and dirty tomboy that I was. At the same time, I was always eager to please. In school, I was bright and motivated. My grades were good. And apart from remarks about me talking too much, my reports were generally positive. My father, however, never seemed to notice any of my achievements. No matter how hard I tried and how much praise I received from my teachers, My father's response 
to my academic success was minimal. On the other hand, my misdemeanors were never unnoticed. By the time I was in my teens, my mischievous behavior had been replaced by my stubborn opinions. My father and I clashed over everything from politics to what I should wear. In my egocentric 16-year-old brain, he was out of date and ill-informed, old-fashioned, and stuck in middle-aged thinking. I still excelled at school, and he continued to ignore my efforts. As I grew into adulthood, I realized a few things. First, if I wanted success, particularly in higher learning, I was going to have to do it for my own satisfaction and not to please my father. The latter, I knew, was impossible. In addition, I began to understand that my father, who had to leave school to work in a factory at the age of 14, was probably intimidated by my level of education and maybe even ashamed of his own shortcomings in that regard. This was a revelation to me. I never considered my father uneducated or beneath me. He was always able to hold his own in a good argument, political or otherwise, and I respected his views. Nevertheless, I could see how he might feel. Years passed, and although it took me almost three decades, I eventually got my college degree. My father seemed a tiny bit pleased. Perhaps I was making some progress with him. I went on to graduate school and received a master's degree. Again, there was a little bit of attention from him. Then I went on to study for a PhD. And then my father died. He had been chronically ill for some years, but his death was still very sudden. A massive heart attack in the middle of the night saved him from the lingering death of the slower-moving cancer that had invaded his body a decade earlier. My mother followed my father into the hereafter just three years later, so neither of them were there the day I received my PhD, nor did they witness the successful career I carved out for myself. They were not aware either of the devastating skiing accident that interrupted that career, seriously injured my neck, and left me with a closed head brain injury that laid me low for several years. And they certainly did not know that that event was a catalyst for me discovering my calling as an intuitive and an energy worker and working in a new career in a very different world. Or maybe they did know. A few years after my accident, when I was tentatively stepping out of the metaphysical closet as a Reiki practitioner, offering to others the wonderful benefits of energy healing, that I had discovered while recovering from my injuries, I rented my first office. It was an old house that had been converted into a healing center. My office was small, but perfect for me. I enjoyed moving my belongings in and arranging in a calm and serene place for both my clients and me to work. On one visit to the office to put the final touches on the decorating and arranging, I opened the door and was greeted by an overwhelming, stinky smell of cigarette smoke. I was shocked. I didn't smoke. No one in the building smoked. Smoking was not allowed. No one had been in the room since the previous time I was there. 
I aired out the room and, although mystified, I put the incident out of my mind. The next time I visited, the same thing happened. I called the owner of the building. She couldn't explain the phenomena. We even discussed what the house might have looked like before its conversion and what function my room had. Was it the kitchen? In case that might help explain the smell that was going on. Nothing, however, made any sense. It took a few days to dawn on me, but then I knew. My father was a smoker until 10 years before he died. He even worked for 40 years in the tobacco industry. In my childhood memories, he always had a cigarette in his hand. It was so obvious. I believe my father approved of my new life. And furthermore, he was finally letting me know. I finally had the recognition I had craved all those years before, and I knew that not only did my father support my calling, he was encouraging me to keep on that path. I was moved and touched. Since that time, on several occasions, as I progressed with my career, added new modalities, and taken fresh risks, My father has expressed his approval in the exact same way. The cigarette smoke smell always happens in places where no one smokes or is smoking, and it is very strong. A few years ago, my son and I were walking our dogs. We were talking about my father. My son and he were very close, especially when my son was young. I mentioned to my son for the first time that I sometimes smelled cigarette smoke when no one was smoking, and I thought that meant my father was around. My son, an army veteran and a welder by trade, with a pretty down-to-earth approach to life and a sensible head on his shoulders, paused for a brief moment and then responded in a matter-of-fact way, Yes, so do I. Dads are very special to us, aren't they? To most of us anyways. You know, when I grew up, I was daddy's little girl. He taught me how to fly airplanes. We went on little mini motorcycle trips together. He was my buddy. Unfortunately, the day came when I was a teenager and life took over. After graduating from high school and then graduating from college, I ended up working in the hotel and restaurant industry. And for anyone who knows that industry, it is 60 to 80 hour work weeks. As much as I loved my dad over that time, our relationship became rather distant. It became one where we talked a few times a year on the phone. There would be the birthday card that I would get or the birthday card I would send to him but that close bond was not there. Not until I found out that he had cancer back. And me, as the only single kid, relocated to be with my dad. Although the tension and the pressure and the anticipatory grief, yes, you can experience grief before someone dies, that all kicked in. And I didn't know it then. But all of that was the reason that my relationships suffered with my siblings. When we grieve, we become a different person. If you are going through grief right now, 
please be gentle on yourself. Our whole brain chemistry changes when we grieve. And you probably don't know this, but our tears when we grieve are a completely different makeup of our normal tears. If you're here for the first time or you just need a reminder, my chapter 10 of my book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death, is all the information about grief. Why we grieve, why it has to hurt so bad, and what we can do to help move through it so that we don't hit rock bottom emotionally, so that relationships don't come apart and we know the best way to heal. I'm thankful because those last few months being with my dad, we became closer than ever. And I had the courage to tell him my afterlife stories. He made me promise that I would write a book and that I would tell people. So that's why I am here with you now. It is, of course, time for our next break. So let's do that. And we'll be back with another story. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. 
In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. Remember the first story we heard, and it started out with a basement being flooded? Well, that reminded me. Years ago in my house, we had a terrible storm outside, and our basement flooded. I was living with my Auntie Donna at the time in an old house. We had a foot of water, then two feet of water, and it continually rose. The sump pump we had was broken, and I had tried to do everything possible to fix it. It was late at night. I didn't know if I should call the fire department, the police. I didn't know what to do. My aunt was of the opinion, we can fix it in the morning. But in my heart, I'm thinking, We're going to lose a lot of things that are stored down there. I tried to sleep, but in my mind, I heard very loudly, you can fix it. I tried to put this voice out of my head because I knew the sump pump was broken. I tried many times and I couldn't fix it. And there was the voice again, you can fix it. It kept replaying in my mind so loud that I went downstairs and into the basement with my pajamas on in icy cold water. I made my way to the corner of the basement. I pulled the sump pump out. I fiddled with it. I don't even know what I did. I plugged it in and it started to work. By the next morning, Most of the water was out of the basement, and we didn't lose but a few things. That voice was so loud. I don't know if it was a loved one or a guardian angel, but to me, a miracle occurred that night. This next story reminds me of that very same thing. This is a story by Sally. She says, Coloradans are so accustomed to unpredictable wind occurrence sweeping over the Rocky Mountains, bringing rain, snow, or sunshine, that we often joke to visitors, if you don't like the weather, just stick around for 10 minutes and watch it change. Happy to reside in our beautiful state, I drank in the beauty of the Rocky Mountains, silhouetted against a cloudless blue sky, as I drove to a nearby shopping mall. 
During breakfast, my husband Jim mentioned that since it was such a nice day, he might clean leaves from our roof gutters and check the chimney bricks while I was gone. I reached the mall and went inside. After browsing through stores and making some purchases, I was surprised when I heard a masculine voice say, Sally, go home. Startled, I looked around but saw no man near me. I was still too early for the morning rush, so there wasn't a large throng of shoppers. Puzzled, I left the store and entered another shop. Soon, I heard the same voice repeat that same message. Sally, go home. Thinking a friend might be hiding and playing a practical joke, I searched the area nearby, but there were no men in sight. Unnerved, I took a deep breath and told myself that healthy people do not hear voices, do they? (laughs) It was possible that the voice I heard was in reality my subconscious mind, warning me that some predator lurked in the mall, seeking an easy prey to rob. When I heard, Sally, go home, for the third time, I remembered a Jewish friend telling me that angel and messenger were the same word in the Hebrew language. Whether that voice belonged to my angel or to my subconscious didn't seem as important as the message. I hurried toward the parking lot saying a silent prayer. Dear God, thank you for surrounding me with your white protective shield of love so my heart, mind, body, and soul are attuned to your positive forces. I looked around as I hurried to my car to make sure no one was stalking me. I unlocked the door, shoved my packages on the passenger seat, and scooted inside. After locking the door, I drove away constantly checking my rearview mirror to make sure I wasn't being followed. I drove home. Heavy clouds and gusty winds replaced the beautiful blue sky that I had admired only an hour earlier. Since I was accustomed to these short wind bursts, I adjusted my speed and arrived back in my neighborhood safely. All the way home, I wondered about that message. But as soon as I turned the corner to my street and saw my husband Jim clinging to the chimney and his ladder lying on the ground, I realized why the voice urged me to return home. Thank God you're back, Jim called. I parked the car, picked up the ladder, leaned it against the house, and steadied it while Jim climbed several flights down. Smiling, I looked toward heaven, and I thanked that voice. We have time for another story, so this one is from Risa. Grant was tall and lean, with dark bangs that hung in his dark blue eyes. He was the kind of guy other guys like to hang out with, and the girls had big crushes on. He had a goofy smile. He was the boy that I loved in high school. The outstanding thing about Grant was his kindness. His answer to queries about career plans was always, the catcher in the rye. I want to stop children from falling over the edge. Though he was no pushover, you could tell Grant anything. Your darkest secret 
would be met with understanding and a hug. I knew we'd eventually marry. To me, the group of girls he dated were no obstacle. I knew he'd realize how sincere my love was for him. I was a cutie, too. I wasn't spending all my weekends dateless. I was a romantic, but a pragmatic teen. I figured we were both just sowing our wild oats. Grant was always there for me. When I became very ill, he was my sole visitor. He held my hand and spoke comfortingly, when even my best girlfriends abandoned my unpleasant symptoms. Grant and I continued seeing each other after high school, growing even closer. We had a special routine. We both loved roaming our rural community on warm summer nights. So as not to awaken my mother, Grant would gently tap on my bedroom window. I'd climb out and I'd join him. We walked and talked. We lay down on the grass, fragrant dirt between rows of green hay grass. Given Grant's incredible care for people, how he met his death isn't surprising. In his early 20s, he fell victim to a fire, trying to rescue friends. They got out. Grant was found curled up just past the stairs. He sacrificed his life a thwarted version of Catcher in the Rye. At his funeral, a group of his old friends, including myself, questioned the new friends who had survived. We were further devastated when it became clear they simply left Grant behind to die. I was inconsolable. At his funeral, I couldn't stop my ragged sobbing. I dropped two roses into Grant's grave, a red one for passion and a white one for true love. The wake was held at his sister's farm. My friends found me climbing into a shallow grave I dug for myself in a plowed field. I didn't exactly want to die. I just wanted to be where Grant was. If he was in the dirt, I'd be in the dirt. I do believe I temporarily lost my mind. Three days later, I was no closer to peace. I cried myself hoarse. All day and into the night, I was gripped with sadness that felt like it would never end. My belly and my chest hurt. My throat was raw. The third night, I finally fell into a fitful sleep. At around three in the morning, I awoke with a startle. The dogs were growling by my bedroom window. The fur raised along their spine. I heard a gentle tap, tap, tap. It sounded exactly like Grant's fingers. I sat up, frozen in bed. As it was a hot night, my window was slightly raised. Who is it? I asked, my voice quivering. A soft emerald green mist floated in through the opening. The dogs continued to growl as the mist enveloped me. I felt warmth and love. I heard Grant's voice, clearly and firmly. His voice was in my ear. He said, I'll see you again. That was all. I'll see you again. My desperate pain ceased. I felt a glow in my heart and fell easily back to sleep. My dreams were gentle. Though my peaceful feelings lingered, the next morning I wondered, was it a dream? Then my mother asked, what was all that commotion in your room last night? 
I've never heard the dogs like that in the house. I knew it was Grant. For me, it's really nice to hear these stories because I get to feel like I'm not crazy. Well, I'm a little bit crazy. But there are different ways our loved ones can get through. I know there are times we want them to come through and we want a sign and we don't feel like we're getting them. I think from their point of view, they can see us, they are with us, there's no time in the afterlife, so they know we're going to be together very, very soon. Whether you've received signs or not, I really hope you've listened to my episode 115, 115, and gone on that visual journey to reconnect with your loved ones. They really are around, they are alive They're healthy, they're whole, they're watching over us, they can hear us, but it takes a quiet mind from us and being able to use our imagination and trust those wonderful things that are coming through. As a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com. Make your way over to the store, find my audio book, use coupon code free. If you are suffering with grief, fast forward to chapter 10, okay? In closing, I'm Sandra Champlain. Thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.